Broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, via the World Wide Web at www.edamrocksradio.com. It's the Edam Rocks Radio Show. And now, your host, Son Edom. The dictionary describes trust as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. So who or what do you have a firm belief in? Are you finding the truth you're looking for? Is the truth out there? Who are you putting your faith in? On this edition of the show, we will be taking a look at seven reasons to completely trust the Bible. Joining us to discuss this is Dan Delzell, the author of Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe. So if your trust has been betrayed, if your truth has eluded you, take a listen and learn how you can trust the Bible and find the truth you are seeking. Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, joining us. He's also the author of, in fact, he's the author of several books, but one of them that we're going to be focusing on here today, he is the author of The Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe. And Dan, thanks for joining us today. How are things? Things are good, Son. It's good to be with you today. Well, seven reasons to completely trust the Bible is kind of the focus of what I wanted to to get your thoughts on. It was part of the, I think, one of the chapters, in fact, of the book that you wrote, Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe, which uh, you can actually find on Amazon. I got it on Amazon, a Kindle version. Um, in this day and age, it seems like there's a lot of people that are reaching out to try to trust something. I mean, we recently have gone through this big government uh, investigations and now like media. Can we trust media? Can we trust politicians? Um, there's been judicial cases where things haven't gone the way people thought they would go. And so it's can we trust judges and things like that? So people are really looking for a place to trust or something to trust in where it's concrete, they're not going to be uh, disappointed, you know, down the road when uh, they find out the truth, you know, and that's what the Bible is about. And that's why I thought seven reasons to completely trust the Bible would be a great way to start. And so first off, if we can just kind of maybe get how did you come up with these and what was the reasoning behind writing these uh, these reasons? Well, Son, really, you just touched on the fact that um, people are wanting to be able to place confidence in anything they're going to believe in. And when we consider Scripture, you know, it has been under such attack by so many people who have been taught themselves that you can't put any stock in Scripture. And so sometimes I talk about, um, you know, those who are victims of Bible bashing. And what I mean by that is they've been taught by someone who discredits the Word and doesn't believe that the Bible came from God. It only came from man, in their view. And so they, they bash it, they put it down, they present their theories about why they feel you can't trust it, and then those who sit under their teaching, whether it be at a university or wherever it might be, um, many of them end up becoming victims of Bible bashing, because then they embrace this ideology for themselves, and the minute that you find yourself unable or unwilling to trust Scripture, it's going to be next to impossible to connect with, uh, with God, because God has spoken to us through his love letter, actually 66 love letters uh, in the Bible. And so um, really the, the very first reason that I list there in that, in that article uh, there, as you mentioned, is also in the book there, Son, it really has to do with, with the love of God and, and how deeply God loves Jews, Gentiles, and all people. 
and, and, and why Christ died. So I'd be happy to, uh, to talk about that aspect of, of why we can trust the Bible, as well as uh, any other issues uh, on, this, uh, on this line as well. Tom. Yeah, so you mentioned you know, the book clearly reveals God's, God's love for all people, and the, the source for that would be John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Um, I know I probably didn't quote that directly. That's probably the Eden version. But uh, but but it's you know God loved all people. And I think that we forget about that, and that's something that no matter who you are, you can have faith in that and know because the Bible specifically says that. Well, that's right. And we we live in a day, son, where you will hear people say, and many intelligent people say. Uh, things like, well, I, I, I can't believe or I won't believe in a God that I can't, that I can't see, that I, I can't have some sort of tangible connection with. And, and yet, what, what's interesting about that, Son, is that um, people, if they would simply look to the relationship, let's say, between a mother and her son or her daughter, um, a mother's love can help decipher religion. What, what I mean by that is, when you look at the unconditional love that mothers around the world, regardless of their race, their religion, whatever, uh, you know, here we're maybe, what, six weeks from Mother's Day, and, and there are some exceptions to this, but most mothers seem to have an undying love for their children. Now, this is, this is a beautiful illustration of what the Bible reveals to us about God, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in, in that... Um, God created man in such a way that, that mothers would have this deep, abiding love for their children. And our Creator, who created moms and dads, women and men, our Creator has this deep, abiding love for His children. And so those who make the very honest, sincere claim that I, you know, I'm not going to believe in a God that I can't tangibly seem to connect with, the, the problem there that's going on is that they have not yet connected with God. The love of God is not yet in their heart. And the Bible tells us that the only way for that love to enter their heart is for them to receive Jesus as their Savior. And the moment a person does that, and, and you know, we call that spiritual conversion, you know, the Bible uses different terms, you know, being born again, being justified, being forgiven, being redeemed, being saved, you know, all these terms, you know, what they point to is very similar to natural birth. When a child enters the world and is born into the world, so also, Son, um, every human being who's going to know God must first be born again. And so until that happens, as you repent of your sin and trust Christ to save you, and of course, the beautiful passage you quoted, John three sixteen. Until you believe that God loved you enough to send his only son to die for you, you never will have a tangible connection with God, and you will likely continue to live and perhaps even go to your grave believing there was no way I could have ever known God or known his love. Oh, I know my mother's love. I know she loved me all the way to her grave. I know she never stopped loving me. But as far as God's concerned, no, I, I just haven't experienced it, so it must not be real. It must not be true for anyone. And I think the other thing, too, that we have to keep in mind is that, and it's hard to believe, talking about someone that we can't see, something that's not tangible there, is that God will love us despite 
what other people feel towards us. So he loves us even if others don't love us or he'll love other people even if we don't love them. I mean, I'll drive down the LA freeways and I have a lot of unlove going for people, but I got to keep in mind, you know, that, that God loves each and every one of us the same. It doesn't matter who we are, where we come from, what we're doing. It's all the same. We are his and he's there to love us for that. Well, that's beautifully said, Son, and, and what it makes me think of is, is the fact that God loves us in Christ, uh, not based on our performance, but based on, on Jesus's, really, performance on the cross. You know, it was that sacrifice, that payment for our sin, that, that substitutionary atonement that Jesus uh, took on, that he carried, that he bore, uh, that enables now us to be able to have a lifeline to the Father. Um, and, and it's through the death of Jesus that we can enter into life with God. This is the gospel message. And, you know, all 66 books in this love letter uh, that, that God has given us uh, in the Bible, all 66 books point to Christ. You know, there's a lot of talk uh, today, especially in certain circles, about, well, you know, we don't really need the Old Testament today and so forth. And, you know, one of the things that um, I, I think would be wise to consider, and I even addressed this in an article not too long ago entitled Who Needs Leviticus, uh, which, of course, is a book in the Old Testament, is I compared it to a, a, a couple that uh, is engaged for a year during which time they have uh, ten letters that um, are written between one another, and then their first ten years of marriage, where let's say another five letters are written, just sharing their um, their love and their thoughts in these in these love letters. Well, let's say you you have all fifteen of these letters, and now you've been married fifteen years or twenty years or longer. Um, you know, you you wouldn't really cherish the five letters that came only after you were married any more than you would also cherish the ten earlier letters. They all were written at a certain point in time. They all had tremendous meaning. They all carried a lot of love. And so when we look at the Bible through that lens, what we see is this, Don, is that the Old Testament period was in some ways like an engagement period between God and his people. You see, the Lord had not yet walked down the aisle to the altar of the cross. Jesus had not yet said, I do, I do, I, I do submit to the Father's will. I do um, allow myself to be placed here on this cross, to be arrested, to be crucified, to be killed. I do, I do love the world unconditionally. And on the cross, that incredible, unbelievable almost love where Jesus would say uh, about his executioner's father, forgive them for they do not know what they uh, are doing. And so there at the altar of the cross, this is where God just said to the world, I love you, and I would love to have a relationship with, with anyone who will come and say, I do, who will repent and believe. And so that then, of course, uh, Christ's death and then his resurrection, you know, on the third day, that then ushered in the New Testament period, or what you might call the marriage, and, and the New Testament refers to Jesus and his bride, the Church, uh, and and so now in this New Testament era, we have now uh, we have the, the the books of the New Testament, the the twenty seven books of the New Testament to go along with the um, the thirty nine books of the Old Testament, and so together these love letters all point to what God has been planning before the foundation of the world for His Son to walk down the aisle to go to the cross 
and to give his life for, for your sins, son, for my sins, for the sins of every listener uh, and every person in the world. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So it, it, it is such a, a beautiful, loving um, message, the gospel message, and, and once a person begins to receive and embrace the Savior and, and, and is converted spiritually, this then, of course, is when your whole relationship with God begins and starts to take off. You begin to know the love of God. You begin to experience things that you never could have experienced um, prior to being born again, justified, saved, redeemed, and forgiven. Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, joining us. He's also the author of the subject today. The book is Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe and focusing on seven reasons to completely trust the Bible. And Dan, I think that's a perfect analogy, the way you said it, kind of writing the letters and and before the marriage and then after the marriage. Um, So obviously and clearly, the Bible does reveal God's love for all people. Um, the other aspect, another aspect that you talked about was that the Bible so clearly teaches the truth concerning God's triune nature, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that oftentimes doesn't make sense to man's natural thinking because it's a supernatural doctrine. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? And have you found this to be an area that can confuse people, or is it simple for people to understand? Well, no, I think you've, you've really uh, nailed it there on the head, Son, in that it is a supernatural doctrine. It is something that, uh, interestingly, Christians um, seem to find themselves able to believe, even though on a natural level, if you just stop and say, okay, now three persons in one God, and yet there's only one God, there's not just one person, there are three, um, it, it really uh, challenges a person's thinking, because it is not something that we would naturally come up with. So right away in the first chapter of God's first love letter there that, that Moses wrote in Genesis there, Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. So right out of the gate, God is letting his children know um, there are three of us. Um, we are one, as is clearly stated in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the Lord our God is one, one God, three persons. And what is very interesting to me, Son, is that there are some religious groups that do not embrace um, Christian doctrine, and yet some of them use um, some Christian terminology. Um, Some of them talk about Jesus, but they um, do not hold to the historic uh, Christian doctrines, and, and therefore you, you won't find any Christian denominations, for example, uh, welcoming them in the sense of saying, oh yeah, those are Christians. No, they would say, those are sincere people, but they're of a different group. It's not a Christian group. And where I'm going with that, Son, is that it's interesting that some of these groups, they have a very, very hard time with the Trinity, and, and they actually reject the doctrine of the Trinity because it doesn't make sense to them. And here's why it doesn't make sense to them. Because until the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, until you are spiritually reborn, you will find it next to impossible to embrace the doctrine of the Trinity. And yet, once you are spiritually reborn, once you repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior, lo and behold, you find Christians the world over saying, you know what? 
I mean, I can't, I can't tell you that I, I, I can fully explain everything there might be to explain about the Trinity, but I'll tell you what, I, I believe it. The Scripture teaches it. It's very clear to me now. Yeah, three persons, one God. So, so even this song, I think, points to just how supernatural a relationship with God through faith in Christ really is, because there are a number of things that begin to change uh, within your within your thoughts, within your belief system, and certainly within your soul, once the God of the universe comes to take up residence within you. And the New Testament makes it very clear that our bodies, as believers, are temples of the Holy Spirit. So just as we find examples in the New Testament where Jesus and the, and the apostles would go around and they would cast demons out of people, these were evil spirits that were actually inside people, possessing people, um, on, on another level, we as Christians have a spirit within us, not, not an evil spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, and the Bible also talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, the Bible also uh, says things like, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Um, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? So how might I know, Son, if Christ is actually living in me? Well, do I believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah who came into the, the, the world at God's appointed time to walk down the aisle, to go to the altar, to allow himself to be arrested, to be crucified, to rise from the dead? And do I believe that his death paid for my sins, and through his death, I am completely forgiven, I made a child of God, I have eternal life in heaven with God, and, and, and if I believe that, that's just um, evidence then that I've been born again, that I've been saved, that I'm trusting Christ. And then, of course, the fruit of, of that um, conversion is that I will want to live for Christ. Uh, I won't use this conversion as a license for sin. I won't look at it as, oh, great, now I'm forgiven, so I can, you know, uh, give in to any temptation I want to give in to. That's a whole other topic, of course, that I think you and I have even, we, we've addressed in previous uh, interviews, but... Um, the point is, once you accept God's love and know how legit and real and authentic God has been with you, my goodness, you want to be the same way with God to the best of, of the ability he's given you. And so you don't take it for granted. Uh, you, you don't have the license to go out and keep doing some of the things you used to do. And maybe it didn't even bother you before to do it. But now you're in a relationship with your creator and it's never going to end. Pastor Dan Delzell, he's the pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, author of Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe, and we're focusing on seven reasons to completely trust the Bible in, in, a, in a day and age that trust is often hard to uh, to come by in certain things. And and Dan, you were talking about um, you know the the belief and the faith and what changes inside of us, and all that is you know transforming as we develop our relationship with Christ. But the other thing that's really difficult in this day and age, especially with all the scandals that we're seeing, with all the hurt that people might cause us, that hurt that we might cause other people, misunderstandings, we're in such a you know, social justice world and, and all this craziness going on. But that's the topic of forgiveness. You know, we, we get offended, but we don't forgive. We may offend others, they may not forgive us. But here the Bible clearly presents the gospel message of forgiveness. And forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that when you look at grace and mercy, you know, grace is what we, uh, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Well, mercy is 
not getting what we deserve. And I think that this is something that is really important for today is that God forgives and therefore we should forgive as well. Can you touch on that? Yes, indeed, Son. Uh, You have just beautifully shared the gospel, which is the core of the Christian faith. It is the core of of the Bible. It is the message that um, we don't deserve God's forgiveness, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the soul who sins is the one who shall die, that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, Scripture says, is guilty of breaking all of it. So if I look at the Ten Commandments, and I find that I have fallen short in even one of those commandments at some point in my life, then I am really as guilty as, as everyone uh, in the world. Now, rather than looking at that, as some might, and even do look at that, I believe, and they say, well, hey, if I'm guilty of committing all of those sins, I might as well you know, go ahead and just dive into sin. Um, rather than making that tragic mistake and error, um, the wise thing to do is to recognize, hey, okay, I have been um, identified in Scripture as a sinner. I'm guilty. Um, I will stand before God one day. The Bible says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, that day is coming, son, when everyone will stand before the Lord, and the Bible says we'll have to give an account of our life. Um, the Bible says that we are going to be standing before the Lord in one of two ways. Either we're going to be standing there forgiven— or we're going to be standing there uh, with our sin, but with nothing from God to cover our sin. And the only thing that God has provided to cover man's sin is the death of his son, the blood of his son, the forgiveness that comes by trusting in Christ as Savior. Um, This is what forgiveness is all about, relying upon the Lord, and and believing that his death paid for my sin. You know, if you were to ask 10 people, son, why they feel that they deserve to go to heaven, which, you know, a lot of people feel that way, um, you'll hear things like, well, you know, I've, I've lived a pretty good life, or I'm nice to others, or I go to church, you know, quite a bit, or I pray, or, you know, I'm not perfect, but I, I think God knows that I try hard. You know, all of those answers point to man's attempt to try to build a bridge to God, And the problem is this, Son, is that no matter how far we might assume that bridge gets us to God, it doesn't even get us anywhere, because the Scripture tells us that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In other words, Isaiah was telling us that everything that I'm doing to try to earn my way to God um, is not only not getting me there, but it is standing in the way of me actually getting on the one true bridge, the bridge of Calvary, the, the, the bridge that Jesus built there at the cross. All the other religions of the world, son, are religions of do. Do this, do that, and hopefully, you know, when you get to the end, you know, God will say, hey, yeah, I'm looking at your chart here, and you seem to have done a pretty good job, so come on in. It doesn't work like that, not at all. Christianity is the only religion, the only faith, the only belief of done. Not do, but done. Uh, Christ has done what you and I need to be done for our salvation. Now, once we receive that message, once we receive God's forgiveness, oh, there's plenty that we will do. There's plenty that God wants us to do. But we don't do it at that point in order to be saved, but we do it because we've been saved. 
And, and this is why Christians so many times will ask somebody, you know, have you been saved? You know, what, what Christians mean by that is, have you been converted? Have you crossed the bridge of Calvary? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior, or are you still in that loop? That, 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 that like, for example, um, you know, Saul of Tarsus was in before he became, you know, the Apostle Paul, where he was, he was so bound to his uh, religious traditions. He was such a devout um, Jewish individual, but he was so far from God, um, not because he lacked zeal, but because his zeal was misplaced. And, and, and the object of our faith, Son, is the key, the object of our faith. So is it what I'm doing? Is that the object of my faith for, for heaven and for salvation? Or is the object of my faith something outside of me? You know, not a feeling, not, not a deed I'm doing. Is it what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago? And I'll tell you what, son, anybody who puts their faith in, in Christ and his cross, I tell you, they are now cemented into bedrock. They are now locked in with the Lord. And I'll tell you what, now this is when a person really begins to, to flow in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the plan of God for their life, but it only comes after you are converted, after you repent and believe the good news. So I think that's difficult for people to believe in this day and age because we uh, are such a narcissistic society to start with. It's all about me. Um, you know, generally speaking, uh, we want to do things. We want to be empowered. We want to be able to achieve, climb the ladder of success, things like that. And so for people that want to be in complete control of their lives, I mean, there's times I'll want to go to the doctor's office. I'm not feeling well. And the doctors will run some tests and they might take a couple of days. But, you know, I want to know now because I want to fix whatever's wrong with me. So I want to be in control. And I think yeah. that it's hard for people sometimes to gather that concept that with forgiveness and with God, it's nothing we can do except accept and believe. It's all what Christ did on the cross, and all we have to do is just believe and accept it. And I think people find that hard because it's too easy almost. Yes, and, and it is. It is not something that we naturally gravitate toward. You know, deep within all of us, son, there is this human pride um, that, that really feels deep down like, not only can I save myself, I must save myself, and how dare you, um, you know, refer to me as some lowly sinner that needs, you know, a Savior. And so I think that's what's going on many times within, within any of us, you know, until we come to know the Lord. You know, you mentioned the doctor, and, and uh, you know, the thought that came to my mind was this. Here about uh, two weeks ago or so, I was uh, walking into church uh, about 7 a.m. one morning, and um, there was a very, very thin layer of ice on a piece of concrete right there, right before I started uh, up the steps. Well, my foot came out. I went down right onto my shoulder, my left shoulder, and, and I could feel. It felt like there was a, a kind of an initial dislocation there. Well, um, you know, I kind of put it off for a few days and uh, went through that, you know, Sunday and everything and got into the next week and everything. And uh, finally, um, you know, ended up going to the doctor and having it x-rayed and then a CAT scan. As it turned out, um, there was a fracture in the, in the glenoid uh, there in the shoulder, and so it required surgery, and, and everything is going well now uh, post-surgery. But my point is this, Son, um, you know, we don't like to have to be confronted with the fact that there's a fracture. We don't like to think about something like uh, a need for surgery. Um, 
and 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 so also who wants to think about the fact that i am guilty of fracturing my relationship with my creator i have broken god's commands and and i need to have surgery on my soul or that fracture will not heal uh, properly at least and it, it won't be repaired it won't be corrected and 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 so um, this is what, what man is facing in the world today, regardless of whatever his religious background might be, whether he went to church growing up or not, whether he's an atheist or he's this or he's that. Every single human being, son, has a fracture in their soul. Every, the, the, you know, your sin, your sin has caused this fracture. And, and if we could do a CAT scan of the human soul, there would not be one, there would not be one man, one woman, one boy or girl, where, where you could look at that scan and say, oh, look at, boy, here's a perfect individual who's never sinned. There's no fracture. No, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as thankful as, as I am, son, that uh, the Lord blessed me with a wonderful surgeon, and now I'm on the road to uh, recovery and so forth, how much better that it is well with my soul, that it is well with your soul, and that every listener today who comes to understand the truth that their, that their soul has been fractured, that their relationship with God uh, is, is, is separated, uh, and only Christ can, can heal that and bring that together. And if they will come and humble themselves uh, at, at the foot of the cross, they can have that surgery on their soul. It's called conversion. It's a miracle. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. No one can say, Jesus is the Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, as good as that surgeon was, I believe that I had and was blessed with, how much better is the Holy Spirit to go into a human soul, look at that fracture, apply the blood of Jesus to that sin, and voila, you're justified, forgiven, redeemed, born again, and saved. And my friend, if you're listening to this today, and if you're not sure that you have had that surgery on your soul, simply call on the name of the Lord today, simply confess your sins to Jesus, Simply say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. I give you my soul. I need you, Lord. I need a Savior. Oh, I'm smart, Lord, in some areas, but oh, I've been so blind in this area. Forgive me, Lord. And I'll tell you, my friend, he'll do it. And you, today, before this day is done, before this hour is done, you will be healed on the inside and on the road to walking with Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska with us, also the author of Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe. And, and Dan, you just mentioned how someone can change their life by accepting Christ. And, and that's another aspect. It's the Bible, seven reasons to completely trust the Bible. No other book has changed so many hearts and lives over the centuries. And what you just described as far as a person taking action and accepting Christ, that's going to be a life-changing event. And you can find that the Bible has brought more peace, real answers, fills the heart with God's love, turn people away from sin, put them on the road to righteousness like you've been describing. This is the most life-changing book of all time. And it's not just a book, but it's like you talked about earlier. If we confess and we change and we accept Christ, the Bible is a love letter from God to us, and it is going to change our lives. Well, it, it definitely will do that, son, and it's done that for millions. You know, the, the, the Bible is alive and active. Um, the Bible penetrates. The, the Bible um, does things in us that only Scripture can do. And, you know, 
we've been talking today a little bit about, you know, some of the emotional aspects of, of thinking about God, you know, the, the love of God, comparing it even to the love of a mother, unconditional love of a mother for her children. We've been talking about, you know, things like sin and man's guilt and shame and how can he, how can he deal with that and, and so forth. But, you know, one of the things with, with the Bible, and, and that really is why um, I, I wrote that little uh, e-book and that, that article, uh, you know, the mathematical proof for Christianity is irrefutable, is that when we come to God's love letter, Son, in these 66 books, we find in the Old Testament, before Christ walked down the aisle to the cross, we find uh, 300 or so prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. You know, for example, in, in uh, Micah, it, it says that, that the Savior is going to be uh, born. Messiah would, would come to Bethlehem. Now, um, when Christ came to Bethlehem, uh, that was a town of about a thousand people. So how would Micah have known hundreds of years before to write that down? Well, because the Holy Spirit was inspiring that to be written. Um, why would Zechariah um, write down about the Messiah riding in on a donkey, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. Okay, so what is this? This is evidence. This is something that a person can look at and say, hmm, um, maybe God was wanting to give us doubters and skeptics and people who are prone to need evidence, you know, which is not a bad, bad thing, you know, I'm nothing... Thomas wanted evidence, my goodness. Uh, you know, he often gets a bad rap as doubting Thomas, but you know what? Um, I think Thomas was doing a pretty noble thing when, when he asked for evidence. And you know what? The Lord um, showed him that evidence uh, and then eventually said, you know, now, Thomas, now that you've seen it, you know, stop doubting and believe. But Jesus didn't hesitate in showing him his hands and his feet. Um, you know, Thomas wanted to see the nail marks and so forth. But, but going back to Scripture now for a minute, these 300 prophecies, okay, there was a professor uh, back in like the 50s, uh, Peter Stoner, uh, professor of mathematics who um, wanted to figure up the statistical probability, Son, of getting just seven or eight prophecies fulfilled in one person. You know, not 300, just seven or eight prophecies. And here's what he, here's what he came up with in terms of the uh, statistic and the probability. He figured out that um, the, the likelihood of, of, of that happening is one out of ten uh, to the 17th power uh, I believe it's one out of 100 quadrillion. Now, to give you an idea of that, you know, I live in, in Nebraska. So here in Nebraska, if you were to cover the state, and there's been a lot of flooding here in recent days, but if you were to cover the state uh, in silver dollars six feet deep all over the state, Nebraska is a pretty decent-sized state, and you were to cover the whole state, you know, not just, you know, the area where I live, but all over, and then you were to blindfold. Let's say we blindfolded you, son. And, and then we sent you out. We sent Son out. We said, Son, you pick a place, you know, pick, you know, some rural, you know, place. Uh, pick, you know, maybe uh, Scotts Bluff or Norfolk or, um, you know, maybe Omaha or Lincoln, wherever, you know, pick a place. And then dig down and pick one coin, Son. And the likelihood, um, oh, by the way, I should say one coin was marked, okay? So, so one coin was marked, and out of those 100 uh, quadrillion coins. And we're like, Son, see if you can pick the marked coin. And so you go out, and you only get to pick one. The odds, Son, that you would pick the marked coin are the same odds of getting seven or eight prophecies fulfilled in one person. In Jesus Christ, there were roughly 300 prophecies fulfilled. 
Now, this is overwhelming, irrefutable evidence that the Bible had to come from God, that Christianity has to be true, because that doesn't just happen. Um, you know, these prophets who wrote down these details about the Messiah, there was not some huge conspiracy. We're now all of a sudden, you know, um, those soldiers sat around and said, okay, let, let's, uh, you know, roll some dice here, you know, for, for Jesus' garments, because there's a prophecy about that. You know, there, there, this wasn't what was going on. It wasn't the apostles going around trying to fulfill every one of these Old Testament prophecies. I mean, frankly, they were just trying to keep up with all the new information they were receiving, and they were as blown away by anybody once Jesus was crucified, because they still were kind of thinking, man, you know, we're going to have an earthly king and and and, uh, and all of this. But um, the, the, the point is, son, statistically speaking, it is impossible that the Bible did not come from God, that Christianity is not true. And, and so it is such powerful evidence that this book is supernatural, that God is the author of it, that God has been writing this for many centuries uh, in our past, leading up to today now, where we are living out 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and the fact that you and I can open up, uh, you know, open up the, the, the books on and just be blessed by it. We had a, a man with the Gideons recently speak at our church, and um, of course, you know, they do an amazing job of, of, uh, of getting out the Bible. Uh, they, they have a resource, in fact, called Lifebook. You can get these for free from them. It's the Gospel of Mark with uh, some notes in there by some teenagers. Just contact the Gideons and, and ask them to send you some Lifebooks for your teens to give out to other teens in the high school, you know, or junior highs, or wherever. We want to get the Word of God to people because it is supernatural. And if anybody doubts it, then just look into the prophecies and ask yourself, how in the world, you know, did God pull that one off? Um, unless, of course, this is all true. And I think the other thing, too, that critics have kind of come up against is that the Bible is relatively considered widely as a historical, factual book. So even if you did want to discredit some of the spiritual aspects of it and say, yeah. well, this maybe didn't happen, maybe Jesus didn't rise, you know, raise from the dead yeah. and all this— there's still a lot of stuff in there that's considered factual. Jesus is still a factual character that people yeah. will recognize. So um, it's not really a stretch to think that no. with the analogy that you made and the, and the, and the prophecies coming true, yeah. there's historical fact that these things actually happen too. So critics have been met with historical fact as proving this stuff to, to have happened. Well, that is exactly right, Son. And it's happening all the time. I mean, we are continually hearing stories of something that archaeologists just dug up that, that confirm uh, a timeline and an event that Scripture talks about. Um, you know, that the history of the Bible is His story. It's God's story of salvation. But it is true history. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that I think many, um, I, I would say, um, many atheists today seem to uh, neglect. You know, John Lennox, the, the mathematician, the professor at Oxford, um, John Lennox just nails this, you know, so beautifully, but in such a loving way. But he, he really kind of calls some atheists um, on the carpet a bit and, and challenges them to, to take history seriously, because history is evidence. History can be verified. History can be confirmed. I mean, one of the strongest evidences, really, for the 
the resurrection of Jesus, Son, which without that, I mean, this whole thing comes crumbling down, you know? Um, one of the strongest evidences for that is the historical reality that, that these apostles who were devastated by Christ's death, who were hiding um, in fear of the Jews, locked away, you know, not knowing what might happen to them, okay, all of a sudden, within just a matter of days and weeks, were then out proclaiming the gospel message and the resurrection of Christ, and that they had eaten with him and walked with him and touched him and spent time with him after his death and after his resurrection, and many of these apostles were willing, as they went on to do, uh, to die for that message. Now, nowhere in the history of the world do you ever find people dying for a lie knowing it's a lie. I, I mean, you know, you will have people dying for a lie, but, but, but they don't know. They don't know that what they're dying for is not rooted in truth. Um, these apostles would have been out of their minds. They would have never gone out and preached what they preached um, unless they had seen the risen Christ. Christianity would have died out before it even got started. You know, all Jesus' critics would have had to have done is produce his dead body, but they couldn't do it because his dead body had risen from the grave, and Jesus decided to appear to hundreds and hundreds of people, but those he chose to appear to. You know, I've heard somebody say, well, then why didn't he go back and appear to some of those Pharisees again, and some of those people who, who rejected him early on? And the only thing I can think of their son is, you know what, they had their chance, okay? Um, and they still had opportunities as long as they were alive to believe in the Lord, but, but, but the Lord doesn't owe anyone any evidence. God doesn't owe you and I anything. He's chosen us to give us, give us his love letter. He's chosen to give us the death of his son. He chose to suffer and to die for our sins. And he chose to reveal himself to certain ones after his resurrection who then went out and died for it. Now, if you, meaning anybody who's listening, and be it all sincere and, and you know, everything uh, about your, your beliefs, I'm sure, are uh, heartfelt. But if you want to believe that those guys did not see the risen Christ and touch him and walk with him, then that's your choice. But I'm telling you what, the evidence says they did. Christianity took off because they did. Uh, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And, and those, those today who say, well, faith is believing in something where there is no evidence, they could not be more wrong on that point, Son. Faith is not believing in something where there is no evidence. Faith is believing in the message that God gives us, and so much of it is rooted in historical evidence and in other types of evidence, uh, archaeological evidence, and and uh, uh, just the evidence of the uh, of the text itself, and and the manuscript evidence of the New Testament. You know all of these things. So um, we serve a mighty God. God has given us an evidence-based faith, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, also the author of Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here today, sharing reasons to completely trust the Bible. Uh, I recommend that if uh, anybody out there really wants to read more about it, it's uh, on Amazon, Kindle, ebook. Uh, anything else as we kind of wrap up here that you'd like to share before we go? Well, I just I want to thank you, Son, for what you're doing in your ministry to, to spread this message through your podcast, um, just through your heart to, to reach others. You know, there's no 
other message that has changed so many lives over the centuries. I mean, when you look, Son, at the hospitals, the orphanages, the homeless shelters, the relief organizations that have been started by Christians, why is that? Because when the light of Christ comes to live within you, um, you suddenly want to help people in body, soul, and spirit in, in a way like maybe you never have. That's not to say there aren't many um, good people who are serving, uh, hurting people who aren't yet Christian. I'm not suggesting that at all, but I'm simply saying that the love of Christ within an individual son is, is making a change all over the world. And so uh, it's just exciting to see people um, come to place their faith in Christ, come to experience this, this love of God in their heart, and, and longer some abstract theory that they've heard about. Maybe they went to, you know, church at one point or Sunday school as a child, but now they're starting to experience the love of God because God is living in them. They are yielding themselves to the Lord. I mean, none of us are perfect. You know, it's a continually growing experience. Don't give up, my friend, if you're taking three steps forward, two steps back, but just watch for this. One of these days, it's going to be four steps forward, one step back, and God's going to continue to help you in those areas of weakness, which we all have. So don't be discouraged. Um, God is not going to leave you. You are eternally secure in Christ to trust and obey for the rest of your life on earth. And so just rest in his death. When Jesus went to the cross, my friend, when he walked down the aisle and he said, I do, that was an eternal commitment he made to you. And if you today as a sinner, which we all are, if you'll say, Lord, I do, I do accept you as my Savior, I do repent of my sin, I do need your forgiveness, I need your blood to cleanse me, I need the Holy Spirit to fill me, I need you to help me, Lord, in my life, and my marriage, and my job, but most of all, I need that fracture in my soul to be repaired. And my friend, if you'll do that today, if you'll say, I do to Jesus, um, God will do the rest. And so God bless you. And, uh, and thank you, Son, again, for this wonderful opportunity for you and I to talk about these eternal uh, messages in the Bible that are rooted in Christ alone. Pastor Dan Delzell, thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to uh, future conversations with you down the road. I certainly look forward to that as well, and thank you so much, Son. Special thanks again to Dan Delzell, pastor of Wellspring Church in Papillion, Nebraska, and author of Mathematical Proof for Christianity, along with other reasons to believe, which you can find on Kindle. That's going to do it for the show. Hey, thanks for listening, and do tell a friend. Until next time, God bless.